Greetings, you teeming Stevens. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. I was unsure whether I was going to record a podcast this week because my office is closed for Christmas and my house is full of people. But I didn't want to abandon ye glorious pricks, especially on Wednesday the 27th of December. That's when we all have our little, our little morning walk. So I have prepared something this week. First off, I had a little bit of a chaotic situation on Christmas Eve. I'd bought too much food for the Christmas period, and I had these six chicken breasts inside my fridge, and they'd gone off by a day. They'd gone off by a day, so I didn't want to eat them. But I felt bad about throwing them away as well, so I thought, fuck it, I'll give them to Napper Tandy. I'll give these six chicken breasts to my cat, Napper Tandy. She'll be thrilled. This'll be like a Christmas present. And the chicken breasts smelled okay. They were technically fresh. They were just gone off yesterday, so I didn't want to eat them. But Napper Tandy doesn't give a fuck. But then I'm like, six chicken breasts is too much for one cat. I wonder what I can do. And it was Christmas Eve, so I was on Instagram. And I was looking at all the American influencers. You know, putting on big spreads of food and inviting their friends over. Laying out these big spreads of food. And getting respect from their friends and family. And the thing is, my cat Napper Tandy... She's not domesticated, she's a stray cat. I feed her and I mind her, but she's still wild. She lives by the rules of the stray cats of the neighbourhood. And since her brother Silken Thomas died this year, the stray cats of the neighbourhood just don't respect her space. They come and go as they please. And they steal from her food dish. And this wasn't the case when her brother was alive. So then I start thinking, what if I put all six chicken breasts out? As like a banquet for all the cats in the neighbourhood. Maybe all the stray cats will show up to Napper Tandy's back garden. And think that she is giving them these chicken breasts. Like a big spread, like a feast or a banquet. She'd be like a cat influencer. Maybe she might get some respect from the local cats. If she's the one providing all of them with chicken breasts. She'll become popular. They'll call her Princess Chicken Breast in cat language. So I was curious about this idea. I I wanted to try it out. So I roasted all six chicken breasts and left them outside. And I imagined the aroma wafting through the neighbourhood, reaching the nostrils of nearby toms and then following the smell like a rope. But it didn't work out like that at all. It was fucking chaos. So I put the chicken breasts outside. Napper Tandy ate one. I waited, waited for cats to show up. Nothing. I went back inside, kind of forgot about it, went to bed and was then woken up at like 3am with the familiar sound of growling tomcats. I get out of bed, go to the kitchen window, look out, oh shit, there's 20 fucking cats. Napper Tandy's gone and it's just these cats I've never seen before, growling at each other around the chicken breasts, none of them eating it because they couldn't decide who was senior enough to eat the chicken breasts. So they're all having this huge Mexican standoff. And then a fucking crow shows up. A crow shows up. And just bobs along pure confident. And starts eating the chicken breast. And then I'm like. Fuck is that cannibalism? Should I tell the crow to stop eating the chicken? So the crow is eating the chicken breast. And the cats don't even notice him. They're all doing that thing where they. Arch their spines and lick their lips and move really slowly staring at each other and vocalising making these strange growly meows that makes them sound like they're from Drahada then suddenly the crow flies off and when he flapped his wings it freaked out one of the cats that cat swiped and then there was a frenzy all the cats kicking the heads off each other sending fire flying up into the air and one big tom he Hods against the wheelie bin like makes a load of noise really loud and it was late as well it was like 3am on Christmas Eve so there's chaos loads of noise and then I see lights turning on in neighbours back porches so then it's like fuck I'm after waking neighbours up and they're thinking what is he doing with those cats would he just leave the cats alone and then in a house about two down I hear a child crying a child is screaming, crying, three in the morning. And then the da says, Go back to bed, go ba- No, go back to bed. It's not the Grinch. It's not the Grinch. Go back to bed. 
So the poor fucking child is bawling, crying. Because they think the Grinch is after coming to steal all the Christmas presents or to murder Santa Claus. That's what they think the chaos and the noise is. So the cat's dispersed. And in the morning all the chicken was gone. And I don't know who ate it. It was all gone. And I'd like to think... I'd like to think it was Santa Claus. Down on his bended knees. Eating freezing cold chicken breast off the concrete of my back garden. Getting his beard wet with rainwater. So that was my chaotic and embarrassing Christmas Eve. So I've managed to secure some time. A bit of peace and quiet. To prepare a podcast for you this week which is fantastic because I didn't think there was going to be a podcast this week I'd like to speak to you about the Greek myth of King Midas because it says a lot about the human condition and what it is to find meaning in being your authentic self so King Midas he was a real king in a place called Phrygia which would now be in modern day Turkey he existed in the 8th century BC which is almost 3,000 years ago. But there's also mythological Midas. And the myth of King Midas is probably one of the most famous Greek myths. You've definitely heard elements of it. But Midas was a king in Phrygia. It was a small king, a small kingdom. And it wasn't a very wealthy kingdom. And he wasn't a particularly wealthy king. Like he was a king. So he was well off. He was doing well compared to other people. But he wasn't a wealthy king. In the hierarchy of kings at the time, he'd have been pretty low down. King Midas would have looked to wealthier kings with larger kingdoms and wanted what they had, wanted their possessions and their gold and their riches and their land. King Midas would have been like a micro-influencer today. 9,000 followers on Instagram, runs a nail salon in Clonmel, posting photographs of outfits and tagging the brands in the hope that he might one day get a sponsorship but quite jealous of larger influencers like Suzanne Jackson I think influencers are a good metaphor to understand the hierarchy of Bronze Age kingships I'm not shitting on influencers it's just an interesting trend has emerged in the past 10 years where you have you have micro-influencers every town in Ireland has got micro-influencers they're people with maybe four or five thousand followers on Instagram. They're just regular people. Just everyday regular people. But because they've got a couple of thousand followers, they have a shot at becoming an influencer. Now I don't know much about influencers, but I would imagine what, what actually makes a person an influencer on Instagram is when when they can earn a living through influencing, when that becomes their full time job. Once you get to that level, maybe a hundred thousand followers, then you are you're a real influencer. This is your profession, this is your job, this is what you do. But I am fascinated by micro influencers. The people who are trying to get to that place where they can be an influencer. And what fascinates me about it is they have to fake it till they make it. They really have to pretend that they are much wealthier and more successful than they are because they're selling people a lifestyle on Instagram. A micro-influencer might pause in front of somebody else's house. They might might go to the the rich part of their town and pause in front of someone else's house as if it's their own. Or an Irish micro-influencer. They might have just one little corner of their bedroom or one little corner of their bathroom in an otherwise regular, normal house. But they'll have one little corner that looks fancy as fuck and they just paused from there. And I'm not shitting on influencers and if somebody wants to become an influencer, you know, that's a career. Fair play to you. But watching someone who's a micro-influencer, only a couple of thousand followers with a regular job, watching them trying to become an influencer, I can't help but imagine that it's detrimental to that person's mental health because they really have to live a lie. They have to manufacture and portray a level of success wealth and leisure that isn't their lived reality so King Midas back in ancient Turkey the king of Phrygia he was a bit like a micro-influencer a small king in a small kingdom not a lot of money but still a king and he had to influence even if a king wasn't that wealthy 
A king would have to put on big banquets. A king would have to display wealth, even if he didn't have it. And Midas had to do that. Mythological Midas. And real life actual King Midas who existed. Because in the 1940s, they found his tomb and they dug it up. And the real King Midas' tomb was a funerary banquet. His body lay in its coffin. And all around him in his tomb are giant vats of wine and tables full of food, and empty chairs and goblets. King Midas's tomb was an actual banquet of food and drink that rotted with him. And when they dug up King Midas's tomb and found this funerary banquet, it was the most perfectly preserved Bronze Age banquet that the world had ever seen. You know, this is the 7th century BC. So King Midas had to show off, even in death, he had to display a banquet that would rot with him. He had to display his ability to put on a great feast. It'd be like if an influencer died today and then they posted a photograph of their wake on Instagram and then their death outfit is sponsored by Brown Thomas and they're tagged in the comments. But mythological King Midas was a bit of a micro-influencer. He would put on these lavish banquets even though he couldn't really afford them just to portray the image of influence. If I can act like a king who's wealthy with a wealthy kingdom, then maybe I can command that respect. But the thing is with King Midas, he wasn't envious. He did try to portray himself as being more successful than he was, and he did look to other kings and want what they had. He coveted those things, but he wasn't envious about it. Seeing what somebody else has, and wanting what they have, that's a healthy part of being human. That can be quite motivational and aspirational. Wow, I like what they have. I like that person's job. I like what that person is doing there. Fair play to them. How do I get there? What work do I do to get to where they are? But King Midas wasn't, he wasn't jealous or envious. When you look at somebody else and you want what they have, their job, their talent, a skill that they have, so long as you're not eaten up with feelings of resentment or jealousy then there's a healthy way to be aspirational but when it becomes unhealthy I think is when you feel yourself you look at what another person has and then you want to take them down a peg or when you think about that person you feel intensely angry or you feel happy when you hear that that person has received bad news or you find yourself belittling what that person has the type of shit you see in comments about influencers. Because an influencer's job is to portray a type of success. It's to, it's to make people want to be like them so that they can become a walking billboard. But you read the shit that's written about fucking influencers. In particular, like micro-influencers in Ireland. Oh, that car that they have isn't theirs. They're behind on a payment. They went over to Turkey and got their teeth done cheap. That couple portray a happy marriage. But I know someone who knows that the husband cheats on her. That's resentment and jealousy. That's seeing another person's life which you would like. And rather than seeing about how you could do that yourself. You choose to hatefully resent the person and pick apart what they have. And I don't know the world of influencing. But I know the world of being a professional fucking artist. And the message I always give young artists is. If you begrudge in any way. If there's any bit of begrudgery in you towards other artists who are successful, you must eradicate that first or you won't be able to create. If you see another musician doing well and your initial urge is to take that person down or to resent what they have or wish failure upon them, that's how hard you're going to be on yourself when you try to create anything. The only person who is hurt in that dynamic really is you. It's not possible to find motivation and tenacity as an artist when you resent other artists' success. And when you feel that resentment coming up, challenge it and instead work really hard on feeling happy, feel genuinely happy for another artist's success. And then when you do that, you're way more forgiving on yourself. You're much more flexible around failure. You have to fail. If you're going to be an artist, you have to fail fucking loads. That's a given. 
and failure needs to become water off a duck's back. It's a necessary part of the process. But if you're resenting and hating an artist for being successful, now the cost of failure is massive. Now you can't fail, because when you do fail, you're being as horrible to yourself as you are to the person that you're begrudging. But be happy for someone else's success. And now it becomes aspirational, becomes something that you can, you can at least try to achieve. But in the myth of King Midas, he wasn't resentful or jealous of these other kings, even though they had more than him. He kind of, he wanted that. I'd love more wealth. I'd love to put on gigantic banquets like the King of Macedonia with the most expensive wines. I'd love to be able to do that. But I don't resent the King of Macedonia for being able to do it. Fair play to him. So there was a goodness and a groundedness to King Midas. And this is most evidenced by what King Midas loved more than anything. More than wealth. What King Midas really loved was his garden. In his little palace, he had a wonderfully maintained garden with loads of different types of roses. And King Midas' favourite thing to do, really, was walk around his garden, smelling the roses, tending to them, being in the present moment, in the here and now, just enjoying flowers and the beauty of nature. And he also loved his daughter, Zoe. He had a daughter called Zoe, who he was mad about. She was about four or five years of age. And he would walk all around his little garden with Zoe, and they would both just look at the roses and smell them. And, and this was King Midas' favourite thing in the whole world. Enjoying his garden with his daughter, who he loved. And then one day, while King Midas was in his garden, admiring a rose bush with his daughter, his daughter spotted a pair of feet sticking out of this rose bush. These dirty feet just sticking out of the bottom of the rose bush. And she goes to her dad, goes to King Midas. What the fuck is this, dad? And King Midas looks down and says, It's some cunt's dirty feet, Zoe. I don't know what the crack is. So King Midas reaches down and he pulls at the dirty feet at the bottom of his rose garden. And out pops this owl lad. This owl lad who's stinking a sweat after a three-day bender and a mad hangover. He's burping and farting. And then Midas is like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing in my rose garden? What are you at? And the old fella says, sorry man, my name is Salinas. And I, I've been on a bender for days. And I passed out in your rose bush and I have a rotter of a hangover. I'm fucked. And then Salinas says, jeez, you've got a nice enough place here. Is there any chance I can, I can crash here for a couple of days? Is that alright with you? Now, you'd think Midas would be, would be thinking, who's this dirty, smelly tramp? Who's this peasant who smells like sweat? Who's hung over and farting and sleeping in my rosebush? Who's this? I should kick him out of my garden. But Midas doesn't do that because he's a king. And now there's a guest in his garden. And when a guest says to him, can I stay here for a few days? Midas is a king. He has to lay out a feast. He has to entertain this guest and feed him and give him a bed and show him a nice time. So Salinas ends up staying with King Midas for 10 days. And this old fella Salinas is a pure lush. And each night he's eating Midas out of house and home. Eating the best of his food and drinking all the most expensive wines that Midas has. Clearing out his cellar. Because Salinas is thinking, sure this fella's a king, he's a fucking king. I'm going to eat all the food he gives me, I'm going to drink all the drink. But privately Midas is thinking, I know this cunt knows I'm a king, but he doesn't know that I'm a poor king. But I can't let him know that I'm a poor king. So I'm just going to have to keep giving him the best wine and giving him the best food. Even though I can't really afford it, I just have to do it. I have to influence, I have to portray this image of being a successful wealthy king. And the other thing too is that this Salinas fella, the owl lad, he's sound. So Midas likes hanging out with him and feeding him and drinking him every night because Salinas is dancing and singing and telling stories. Aside from the fact that he's eating him out of house and home, he's being a perfect guest. 
So on the tenth night, Salinas turns to Midas and he says, Jesus Christ, I'm after spending ten days here with you, man. My master is going to be looking for me. I have to go. And then Midas is like, no, no, don't go. You can stay as long as you want. Don't worry. But secretly he's thinking, thank fuck. I can't afford to be throwing this fella a feast every single night. Thank fuck he's leaving. And then Salinas goes, look, I'm an old man. And my master is in this this vineyard just to the south of Phrygia. Is there any chance you'd go with me and make sure I, I get to my destination safely so I can so I can meet my master? So then Midas says, okay, grand, I'll go with you. I'll keep you safe. We'll take a couple of guards with us. So King Midas sets off with Salinas towards this vineyard in the south and they get there and then they meet Salinas' master. And Salinas' master is the god Dionysus. So if Midas is like a micro-influencer, this is like meeting Kim Kardashian. This is like Dionysus is a god. Dionysus was the Greek god of wine. He was the god of the feeling of tipsiness. The feeling of liberation and lack of inhibitions that you get from being drunk. That was Dionysus casting a spell on you when you drank. So now King Midas is there thinking, holy fuck. This old smelly lad. This old smelly lad who I found in my garden with a hangover. Who I just fed and found for the past ten days. This fella's friends with Dionysus the god. How lucky is this? So the old lad Salinas, he now introduces Dionysus to King Midas. And he's like, Dionysus, this this King Midas fella, he is unbelievably sound. I was hung over in his garden. And he just fe- he fed me and gave me all the drink in the world for the past ten days. What a generous, lovely host. And Dionysus, who's a god, and the gods in Greek mythology, they're not massive fans of humans. Because humans are the playthings of the gods. And if you listen to my podcast that I made about two months ago about Greek mythology, you'll know that Zeus made humans fallible so that they wouldn't become more powerful than the gods. Zeus opened Pandora's box and humans experienced things like hate and jealousy. So Dionysus as a god is now really impressed with King Midas, a human. And Dionysus is thinking, fair fucking play to you King Midas. My buddy Salinas here, who with all due respect looks like an absolute tramp. He just arrived in your garden, an absolute nobody. And you showed him kindness and generosity just for the sake of it. You're really restoring my faith in human beings, King Midas. So Dionysus then says, I tell you what, King Midas, I'm a god, so I'm going to give you one wish. Whatever it is, I'm going to give you one wish. Now Midas can't believe this. This is like meeting Kim Kardashian and Kim Kardashian saying, I'm going to share your Instagram story. Midas cannot believe it. So he's thinking, what do I love most in the whole world? What do I want more than anything? And then the human fallibility creeps in. And King Midas isn't thinking. Do you know what I love most in the whole world? My beautiful daughter, my little daughter and my rose garden and the moments that we spent together in the rose garden. He's not thinking that way now. He's thinking the grass is greener on the other side. He's thinking about the other kings that are wealthier than him. So King Midas goes to Dionysus. Do you know what I want, Dionysus? I want everything I touch to turn to gold. And then Dionysus is like, are you sure? I'm a god, I can make it happen if that's what you want. And Midas is like, yeah, I want everything I touch to turn to gold. Because I want to be wealthier than all these other pricks. The king of fucking Macedonia. That fucking prick, the king of Persia. Who thinks he's so great with his big banquets. Fuck him. I want more than him. I want more gold than he has. I want to be the wealthiest, most respected king. The biggest king in all the land with the greatest amount of wealth. And the way I'm going to get the greatest amount of wealth... I want every single thing I touch to turn to gold so I've got unlimited gold. That's what I want. So Dionysus says, Okay, if that's your wish, go home and when you go home, take a bath in wine, go to sleep and when you wake up the next morning, everything you touch will turn to gold. So King Midas wakes up and he does what he does every morning. 
he walks out into his beautiful rose garden to admire his roses. There's bees all over the garden and they're enjoying the flowers. And he walks over to one of the roses to kneel down and to smell it. And as he puts his hand on the petal to bring it towards his nose, the fucking rose turns to gold. And then he's like, what? Holy fuck. And then he touches another rose and another. And now all his roses are solid fucking gold. He can't believe it. He's ecstatic with joy. What could go wrong? He calls over some of his servants and he says, Look, all the fucking roses are turning to gold. Cut them down and have them melted into coins immediately. I'm going to be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. He runs all around his garden, touching every single rose, every one of them turning to gold. He's ecstatic with joy. He spends the rest of the day just touching shit. Everything. Touching everything and turning it to solid gold and saying take it away and melt it into coins. And then he gets hungry after a day of touching shit. He's starving so he sits down to eat and he picks up an apple to bring it towards his mouth. Then the apple turns to gold. And he's like well alright this is going to be difficult. Then he reaches for a leg of lamb. The lamb turns to gold. Then he goes for a cup of water. And that turns to gold. Now he's thinking, right, this might be an issue because I'm going to have to fucking eat. I'm going to need to eat. So he puts on a set of gloves, thinking, all right, maybe if I wear a set of gloves, then I can I can eat an apple without it turning to gold. So he puts the fucking gloves on. Now the gloves turn to gold and he can't move his fucking fingers. He still tries to touch an apple, but the apple still turns to gold even though he's got golden gloves. Fuck, what am I going to do? He says to one of his servants, I'm starving here, I'm fucking starving. Can, can you hold this apple so I can take a bite out of it? So the servant does, but the second that King Midas's teeth bite into the apple, the apple turns to gold. Now he's starting to panic a bit. He's feeling like the pangs of an anxiety attack coming on. He starts pacing back and forth. This isn't great at all. Everything I touch turns to fucking gold. But I can't eat. And then his daughter Zoe walks in. And he sees Zoe and he's just overcome with that feeling of love. Oh there's Zoe my God my beautiful daughter. And he forgets about his problems for two seconds. And runs over and gives her a big hug. Oh I love you so much Zoe. And just when he's waiting to hear I love you too Dada. He hears nothing. Because now Zoe has turned into a golden statue. No movement, nothing. An inanimate golden statue. His wonderful, beautiful daughter is gone. Now he's in bits. He's inconsolable. He goes out to his rose garden. And all the roses are gone because they were melted into coins. And there's no bees anymore. Insects aren't interested in golden roses. But he has everything he wanted. He's now the wealthiest king. He has infinite wealth. But he's miserable. He's empty. He has everything and he has nothing. And he goes to bed. Miserable. In his freezing cold bed made out of gold. With golden sheets. Everything metallic, luxurious, perfect, glimmering and miserable. And he dreams a dream. A dream so sad that he cries in his sleep. He dreams of seeing his daughter again. He dreams of imagining the golden statue becoming flesh and her smile. And now that he has everything, all he wants, all he wants is to smell some roses with Zoe and see the look of joy in her face because she loves roses as much as he does. And when they share that moment of both of them loving roses, it's the happiest feeling in the world. And now he only has it in a dream. It only exists in a dream. It's a memory. And then he hears the voice of Dionysus in his dream. And Dionysus says, You stupid prick. You stupid human bollocks. When you fed Selenus and you were just being sound and nice for the sake of it and being a decent person, being generous and compassionate. I was impressed by that. I liked that. But then you had to fuck it up. You had to fuck it up. You had to lean towards that resentment and jealousy. And you got greedy, didn't you? 
you stupid fucking prick. And then King Midas in his dream is just begging Dionysus, please, please, I don't want everything I touch to turn to gold. I don't give a fuck about gold. I just want my daughter back. I just want my daughter back. And then Dionysus says, do you know what? I'm a god, so I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. So luckily I made the spell reversible. So here's what you need to do. When you wake up, go down to the river Pactolus and then wash your hands in the water. Just wash your hands in that water and you'll lose this ability. Things will be back to normal. And everything that you touch that turned to gold, it'll go back to its natural form. All right? So Midas wakes up. He runs to the river Pactolus, does exactly as Dionysus said in the dream. And then he watches as the water washes away all the sparkly materials from his hand. And now he no longer has the ability to turn things to gold with his touch. And just as an aside, the beauty of mythology, the river Pactolus is a real place in Turkey. And it's a natural source of electrum, which is a very rare alloy of gold and silver. And the myth of King Midas washing his hands in this river is used to explain why this river provides this alloy of gold and silver. So anyway, King Midas is cured of his affliction and he doesn't have any gold anymore because it all turned back into its natural form. But most importantly, he has his daughter Zoe and she's alive and he hugs her and they both go out into the garden and all the roses are gone because he had them made into coins that are now just mush. But there's one rose left that he didn't touch and him and Zoe go over to it and admire it and they smell it and a little bee comes down and Midas realises he had wealth already. The wealth that he had was his garden and his daughter and it took losing those things to realise it. And that's the myth of King Midas. And that story is two and a half thousand years old. And what I adore about that story is it's two and a half thousand years old and it says the exact same shit that modern psychology does, specifically humanistic psychology and in particular the psychotherapeutic theories of a fella called Carl Rogers. Humanistic psychology says that the human personality that we have, our real self, our authentic self, like our real self and our ideal self, and often, to live in society, there's a battle going on within us between our real self and our ideal self. Our real self is, it's who we really are. It's the part of us that wants to love and to be loved by someone else. Our real self is where we feel truly, genuinely calm and safe. When we live in our real selves, our authentic sense of self, we tend to experience life in a very meaningful way. Being alive is enjoyable. It's not filled with anxiety or resentment or anger. Then we have our ideal self. It's how we would like other people to see us. We learn about our ideal self from messages we receive from parents, teachers and society. I will be happy when I'm rich. I will be happy when I'm thinner. I will be happy when I have the perfect relationship. I will be happy when I'm more stylish, when I can dress myself better. I will be happy when I get that PhD. I will be happy when my life is like that person's life over there. Our ideal self is something that we learn early on when we attach our self-worth to external things. We live in a society that tells us that we are more worthy as people if we have more money or if we're more physically attractive. This is what influencers peddle. Influencers peddle an ideal self. They construct an online life of absolute perfection. Wealth, style, perfect marriage, perfect children, perfect house, perfect friends, perfect fun. A successful influencer is someone who's able to encapsulate a zeitgeist of what society's conditions of worth are right now. But an influencer isn't selling you 
here's some beauty products to show you how you can be more physically beautiful. Or here's some style tips. That's not what's being sold here. What's being sold is a better version of yourself. Now, advertising has been doing this for years. Influencers are just the latest incarnation of it on social media. But really what an influencer is peddling is the feeling of if you follow me and interact with me and buy some of the things that I'm promoting, you will finally achieve the perfect you. You will finally achieve the perfect you and then you will be happy. This is why too that influencers can inspire such intense feelings of jealousy, resentment, anger and hatred. Because if you internalize the messages from society and you truly believe I will only be a good person, a worthy person when I am that beautiful, that wealthy, that successful, whatever. If you truly internalize that when an influencer presents themselves on your social media feed with a manufactured, idealized image of a perfect life, when they present to us like that in our social media feed, it's a continual reminder of everything we hate about ourselves. You can't think that you will be a worthy person through external achievement without also thinking that you're a terrible person because you haven't achieved it yet. But that's often too painful and complex for us to be able to verbalize so you attack the person and belittle the person who caused that feeling in you, the influencer. But the problem with the ideal self within humanistic psychology is that the ideal self is, is always unattainable. When you chase the ideal self, it's a never-ending chase. It never ever ends. And you think, if I can just get those clothes, if I can be as stylish as that person, if I can be as beautiful as they are, if I can have their perfect relationship, if I can have their house, if I can have all this, I will be happy and complete. That's the feeling. And even, even if you do manage to achieve these things, if you manage to get them, it doesn't bring happiness. And when your ideal self is too far apart from your real self, from who you really are, you lose a feeling of, you, you won't have a solid sense of identity. And in that incongruity between your real self and your ideal self, that's where feelings of anxiety and sadness and anger and unhelpful toxic emotions pop up. So to take it back to King Midas, and why I adore that story. King Midas's ideal self was the part of him that wanted to be incredibly wealthy. The part of him that looked at other kings and thought, if I can be like them, if I can have their wealth and their gold, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have that thing I'm searching for. And then he finally gets it and everything turns to gold. But let's look at that metaphorically. What he's looking for is influence. King Midas wants to be really, really wealthy so he can throw these huge, huge banquets so that he will finally be accepted by everyone. They will love me. They will worship me. They will love me. If I can just throw these huge banquets, then people will speak about me. And he's not asking the question of why do I need that many people to love me? Why can't I just love myself? And when he finally gets everything and he gets all the gold, he destroys everything that really matters. You see, King Midas' real self, his authentic self, it's the part of him that loves his garden and loves his daughter. Something you don't need any wealth for. You need no material wealth to love a garden and love your daughter. All you need is to be able to experience the present moment and to truly believe that you are worthy of love and that you deserve to love someone else. If you're living in your ideal self, chasing wealth, chasing what someone else has, thinking, I will be happy if I get that one thing, that's quite a miserable existence. That's an existence whereby you are never, ever good enough because your entire worth depends on what you don't have. And when you don't have these things that you want, the lifestyle, the money, the clothes, the adoration, whatever, when you don't have these things, you are worthless because worth is a thing you're chasing. And when you live that way, 
you're not open to authentic experience. You're not going to listen to the things that genuinely nourish you and give you meaning. So for King Midas, everything turned to gold, but he couldn't experience his daughter's love and he couldn't experience the love that he has for his rose garden and he couldn't experience the love that he has for sharing that rose garden with his daughter. The metaphor of chasing all that wealth and getting all that gold is that it separated him completely from who he truly is and then he couldn't identify or meet any of his basic needs. What's taken from King Midas are the most basic needs. Eating, drinking, loving somebody, loving yourself and enjoying the present moment. The rose garden is the present moment. That's what the rose garden is. It's the here and now. It's the simple joy of being alive. That's what the rose garden is. The joy of, I am alive, I'm happy to be alive, and this feels great. Just breathing feels amazing. King Midas was denied those basic things because his pursuit of wealth clouded his experience with resentment, jealousy, anger, and it caused him to be blind around his actual wealth and his actual real wealth. It was something he had all along, which was, I love my daughter, I love my rose garden, and I like being alive. That's his real self. That's where he gets his meaning from. And this idea that he needed to be a powerful, influential king who would be spoken about for his great banquets that he can throw, that's his ideal self. Those are the toxic messages that were fed to him by society that he only has worth when people speak about him and look up to him. Midas probably thought, yeah, I know I love my daughter and I know I love my rose garden. But who's going to talk about someone because they love their daughter and their rose garden? Who gives a fuck about that? They don't tell stories about people who love their daughter and love their rose garden. But the way that we we learn and begin the journey of living in our authentic real self is by accepting it. Yeah, it'd be nice to actually have the life that an influencer portrays, but maybe that's not the real you. King Midas thought he wanted to be a wealthy king who could throw big banquets and be spoken about by everybody in the land. He thought that what that's what he wanted. But really... That's not who King Midas is. King Midas is someone who wants to hang around his rose garden, love his daughter, and share that with her. And King Midas' journey is to truly deeply understand that that's enough. That's actually enough. And that's what brings him meaning. The greatest wealth you can have is to be happy to be alive right now. That's the greatest wealth you can have. I like right now and I like who I am. I'm happy to be me and I'm happy to be alive. If you can say those things and they genuinely ring true, then that's that's real wealth. And you achieve it through self-acceptance. You accept who you are and you accept what you can't change about yourself and you accept that you have intrinsic worth. We all have the exact same worth as human beings and our external behaviour or our possessions or our physical appearance, or whatever the fuck. None of these things actually determine our worth. We're born with our worth. It's there. It doesn't change. It's no greater than anyone else's, or no lesser than anyone else's. Our worth is intrinsic, unchanging. And all we have to do is accept it. We have to accept that self-compassionately. And it's very difficult, because we have a society that tells us the opposite of that. Society sets us up with these conditions of worth. Actually, no, you don't have intrinsic worth. You have worth if if your life is like that influencer over there. That's when you have worth. That's bullshit. That just services capitalism and consumerism. If you can have a population of people believing that if you purchase certain goods, what you're actually buying is a better version of yourself, consumerism flourishes flourishes in that environment because we keep buying shit to fit an unfillable hole like I know that my my authentic self lies in creativity and 
exercising. I love those two things. If I can create art and explore creativity and then also go to the gym and run, then I'm incredibly happy. I know that that's my authentic self. So I work towards... My goal is, is how can I maintain a job that allows me to do that? I want to wake up and in the middle of the day... I create whenever I want to and I get to exercise whenever I want to and if I can do those things I don't want much else and I'm kind of happy to be that person but it takes fucking work it takes work and I'll get insecure and I'll get resentful or jealous I might look at someone else's success and think why don't I have that I want that I want what they have then I'll be happy and my job is to try and catch myself in that moment And I accept and acknowledge in a self-compassionate way that it's okay to get jealous sometimes. It's okay to want what someone else has. It's okay to think that when someone else has more than me that they're a better person. It's okay to have these flawed thoughts. But I have a choice and I can challenge those flawed thoughts. And I challenge those things through evidence. And what I mean by that is I have achieved... I've achieved some stuff that my ideal self thought I wanted. I've actually achieved that stuff. Like, for instance, I had Johnny Marr on the podcast a couple of weeks back. Johnny Marr is like legitimately a hero of mine. When I was 17, 18, listening to the Smiths and I wanted to be an artist, if you'd have said to me at 17, would you feel like a worthy person or a better person if Johnny Marr liked a piece of art that you made, if you said that to me at 18, 19, I'd go, oh my God, that's it. That's like having, that's the golden touch. That's like King Midas's wish. If I could make a piece of art and Johnny Marr heard it and liked it and told me I was good, then I would be unbelievably happy. That would be peak happiness. That's it. I don't think I'd want anything else. My life would be perfect. But that happened. It happened. Johnny Marr was on the podcast a few weeks back and he's clearly there saying, I love your podcast. I I love the work that you make, Blind Boy. Do you think for one second that genuinely made me happy? Absolutely not. It's, It's a nice thing to hear. It's wonderful. I appreciate it. It does not make me happy in any way. Not the happiness that I get from going on a nice run not that deep existential happiness that's related to who I really am because my desire my desire to have Johnny Marr like a piece of art that I make is rooted in a deep insecurity that I have an insecurity in my childhood where I learned you are only worthy you only have worth when you are good at art because I was shit at everything else so Johnny Marr from the fucking Smiths saying, I like the work that you make, blind boy. It did nothing for me. It made me actually feel a bit empty. And it made me feel empty because I knew that's something I wanted and I thought would make me happy. And then when I got there, I was left with emptiness. And that there is the ideal self. But luckily, I have the self-awareness to bring that to my immediate attention and to examine it. Do you know what did bring me happiness? That proper, real, existential happiness that's rooted in who I truly am. The conversation I had with Johnny Marr. Not because he's Johnny fucking Marr from the Smiths, but because he's a sound lad from Manchester called Johnny. I met someone who likes art and music as much as I do, and we spoke about it as two human beings being generous with each other and sharing something we love that made me feel happy that's my real self that's meaning and genuinely the fact that it was Johnny Marr the legend that didn't matter if I met some lad in the pub and we had the same conversation that me and Johnny Marr had and we're both clicking and connecting on music that would bring me just as much joy as if that conversation had happened with Johnny Marr And that's the point that the story of King Midas is making. Salinas turned up in his garden, just a nobody. But Midas 
was just a nice generous person and shared all his drink and food with him and Selinus was good crack and they had wonderful fun and King Midas didn't care that Selinus knew Dionysus the god and that's the bit that Dionysus liked about King Midas the authenticity the authenticity of ah oh, that was your real self there when you hung out with Selinus and you were generous with your food and you had a bit of crack that's the part of you that loves your roses and loves your daughter that's your real self but the point that I'm making how I try to how, how I try to live authentically in my real self and I say try because it's it's consistent work I learned to catch my ideal self if I feel jealous resentful envious less than another person because of their achievements or looking down on another person because of my achievements I go that's my ideal self talking what do I believe here about my sense of self worth what external condition here do I believe is going to define my self worth and how can I examine that compassionately and like I said I always bring in a bit of evidence I bring in evidence and I say here are some examples where you've achieved things that you truly believed would bring lasting happiness and when you actually achieved them it did fuck all and I have a lot of those I was on the fucking New York Times last year the president of Ireland came onto this podcast the fucking president of Ireland said your podcast is, is, is so good I want to be on it do you think that brought me happiness not a not on one tiny little iota none it brings a, a temporary little buzz followed by a, an empty sadness and the empty sadness is oh I thought this was going to make me happy because it's not real it's not rooted in, in my real self and you might be thinking Jesus blind boy you've been a bit hard on yourself again should you not feel a little bit proud that we'll say the president wanted to be on your fucking podcast the answer to that is I need to work on being being proud of the work the piece of work that I made I made a piece of work a podcast and it happened to be successful enough that the president wanted to be on the fucking podcast I made a piece of work but that piece of work does not define my worth as a human being like again 10 years ago if you said to me you're going to make a piece of work and it will get the attention of the Irish president what do you think I would have said about that? Oh my God. That'd be like having Midas touch. I would be so happy. That would bring me lasting, eternal, forever happiness. I'd finally get it then. No, that's my ideal self-talking. That's conditions of worth. I achieve meaning through creating things, exercising, enjoying the present moment. That That's who I am. Feeding cats. That's 53 minutes of me fucking talking there now and this was supposed to be a short podcast. That was a rambler of a podcast. I didn't even do the ocarina pause. I'm just going to do it now. Don't have an ocarina. I'm going to clap my hands. I'm in a different room recording. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And this, you can hear it from the sound, you see. There was an advert there. Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash 
the Blind Buy podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, if it brings you mirth, merriment, entertainment, distraction, whatever it does for you, please consider paying me for the work that I do because this is my full-time job. It's how I pay my bills. It's how I rent out my office. All I'm looking for is the price of a pint or a cup of coffee. Once a month, that's it. Why? Because like I said, I'm just, all all I want is to be able to create, to have the space and time to be able to create an exercise. That's it. And the Patreon supporters, they enable that to happen. When I have people paying me to listen to this podcast on Patreon, then that's my full-time job. So all I got to worry about is being an artist. So that's all I want to maintain. That's it. But if you can't afford it, don't worry about it. You can listen for free. Because the person who is paying is paying for you to listen for free. Everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. That's about all I want there. That's it there. That's about all I want. How do I meet the, ma- the material conditions that allow me to pursue my authentic self? I don't want to worry about whether the podcast is too popular. Whether it's winning awards, any of that shit. Am I showing up each week, being authentic to myself, being passionate, enjoying the work I'm doing and then earning a living so that I continue doing that? Once I can tick those boxes, nothing else is really going to bring me happiness. But knowing that my bills are paid and that I can continue being creative all the time, that is genuine happiness. That's that good stuff. That's my real self. That's King Midas in the garden. Smelling the roses and hugging his daughter. Live podcasts. January 22nd and 23rd. I'm up in Vicker Street in Dublin. Come along to those gigs. Vicker Street. It's a Monday and Tuesday night. You will not be disappointed. Those are my most favourite gigs. Then in February. I am in Oslo. On the 6th of February. I cannot wait to do that gig in Oslo. Then I'm in Berlin. Doing a live podcast on the 9th. And the 8th in Berlin. One of them is sold out. Then Friday the 23rd of February. I'm in Killarney in the INEC. And then my UK tour in April. Right? This UK tour. That's setting out really quickly. What have we got there? Newcastle. Glasgow. Nottingham. Cardiff. Brighton, Cambridge, Bristol and London. Come along to those gigs in April. Alright? I pulled this podcast out of my arse, lads, because I had to record it really, really quickly. And I didn't think there was going to be a podcast this week. And I fucked up the ocarina pause and put it at the end. All right. But I got to sign off now. I didn't want to leave you with no podcast. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, rub a dog. Kiss a swan. Genuflect to a worm. Dog bless. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.